Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good to see you guys. I have one question uh, for you this morning. Uh, how do you want to be remembered? That's the question today. In your life, when you look back on your life, how do you want to be remembered? And so going around Facebook right now, there's something called the 10-year challenge. And so people are posting a current picture of themselves next to a picture of themselves 10 years ago. And it's fun to see the progression and the regression of some people uh, in those pictures. So I thought it'd be fun this morning to do a little bit of a throwback challenge with our staff members, all right? So I'm going to show you a staff member picture and a picture from them a long time ago, and we're going to laugh at them, okay? So I'm just setting you up right off the bat. So I'll start with me, though. I'll be nice. So that's the staff picture. Easy now. Um, and here we go, elementary school, right there. Yes. I don't know what's going on with the teeth at that point in time, um, but that's awesome, elementary school. Let's go to the next one. This is Elisa Gilstrap. She is uh, the children's ministry leader. She's also my mother, so I'll be very careful for the next few seconds. All right, here we go. This is high school. There she is. Yep, no comment. All right, here we go. Next one, Tom Bates. So Tom Bates oversees the marriage mentors here uh, that mentor all these couples getting married at the wedding chapel. So this is Tom Bates in high school right here. Let's camp out here for just a second, all right? So loving the hair, got the hair going on. Uh, I'm not sure what that pose is called, okay? It's like the star jump or something. But can we talk about the shorts? Like, what is going on there? I don't know. I have no, nothing for that. Love it. So that is Tom Bates High School basketball phenom. Uh, here's Amos. So Amos is our executive pastor. Uh, has been doing an amazing job on staff lately. Here he is, high school. Like, why are you so mad, bro? What's going on? What are you so upset about? So apparently... So he went to a private Christian school, and they made him, with a community razor, shave his facial hair that morning, and he was not happy. That's what he said. So that's why he's so mad at the camera. How about this one? You just saw John Mark up here singing, leading worship. This is him as a young man. Look at this. I just noticed this earlier, but that zipper is going down a little far right there. And I really think he could pull those glasses off and make them cool now. Like, he's just that cool. All right. How about, this is my favorite, Tom Goodlett, Connect Group leader and associate pastor here at Harborside. Just really enjoy this one, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. There's so much to work with here. I mean, I think it's time to bring the mullet back, don't you think? It is time. You got the tie that's tied all weird and the watch, okay? I mean, I can look at that all day right there. All right. One more. There he is. So, Kurt Parker, our senior pastor, okay? Here we go. Here's his picture. Yeah, I'm not... No. I'm not messing with that one. I need this job, all right? 
All the teenagers are like, who is that? Who's that guy? George Clooney. All right. Let me get him off so the ladies aren't distracted, okay? Um, so it's fun to look back, right? It's fun to think about how we remembered. Maybe you don't like seeing your pictures from back then in high school and college and all of that. Uh, but the question today is, how are you and I going to be remembered? At the end of this life, when we look back, what's our story going to be? How are we going to remember this life? And what I know about every person in the room is that you and I both, we want to live a life of purpose. We want to live a life of meaning. We want to be at a point at the end of our life when we look back on what we did, our jobs, where we spent our time and our money and our passion and our energy, that what we did meant something, that, that we created a legacy worth remembering, that that what you did was meaningful, that people talked about it, wrote about it, and that you are remembered in a way that is meaningful and purposeful, and that we're remembered in a great way. So all of us in the room want that. We desire that. And how do we get there? And I was thinking uh, about, in my work, uh, 10 years as a pastor, I've been a part of a lot of funerals. And what I've learned about funerals, as people try to talk about the end of someone's life, I've, I've realized there's two different funerals. And the first type of funeral is what we like to call a celebration of life. And you can just sense in the room with the family and the friends and the co-workers as they are remembering that person and people are coming up to tell the fun stories and it, it truly is a celebration of life. There's something positive about how they are remembered, and almost always the stories that are told are stories not about how much money they made, and it's not about how big their house was and the success of their business and all of that. It's really stories about how that person impacted other people. It's how they affected the people and the community and the employees and the friends around them. And then the other type of funeral is a little bit more sad. It's, it's a funeral that's somber, and you can tell they're trying to come up with things to say that are fond memories, and you can tell the impact wasn't as much about the people. They've spent their life doing other things and maybe didn't leave behind the legacy that they would have hoped to leave behind. And as I thought about that, and I thought about us, as we're trying to win the day, every day in this life that we're living, how do you want to be remembered? And I believe we want to live today like we would want to be remembered forever. And so there's, there's two things I want to show you that I've learned from these funerals and how people are remembered. Here, here's the first one. It's not how you start, but it's how you finish. And so a lot of you, you've started a job, and, and hopefully after a year or a couple of years into that job, you've just gotten better and better and better, and you've made mistakes along the way. Maybe as a parent, I mean, we never arrive as a parent. They always keep us on our toes. But right when you had that first child, you had no idea what you were doing, right? Maybe you still don't know what you're doing. But hopefully as a parent, you get better and better over the years. When you get married, we do all these marriage counseling with the couples in the chapel. And they're so in love and they're holding hands and we're doing the meetings. And I'm like, you guys don't have a clue what's coming next to you. <laughs> Right? And so you just don't know what you don't know. And so hopefully you're a better spouse 10 years down the road than you were the day that you got married. 
And so it's, it's really not, we don't remember people how you start. It's really how you finish. And, and I was thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. We celebrated him in January. You think about the legacy that he left. And as I thought about him, I don't remember what middle school he went to. And I don't, re- I don't even remember what his first job was. I don't even know his hometown or some of the stuff he did when he was younger. But I do remember that speech that you and I can quote right now. And I do remember the passion that he had to do something that was worth dying for. And I remember the impact he made on race relations that you and I take part in today. He changed the world. He changed the culture. He changed the way we talk about all of those things. And so it wasn't about how he started. It was about how he finished. And for you and I, we want to live a life where we finish well, where we finish well. Secondly, I've learned from going through funerals and thinking about how we're remembered is this. It's not about what you have but what you do with what you have. And so there's people that have very big houses, but they may not be remembered as fondly as someone with a smaller house that used their home to bless people. And and how they made you feel when you walked into that home and you felt like family and they used it to be encouraging and loving and, and you can tell the difference immediately. Someone with a really large bank account may not be as remembered as someone with a smaller bank account that used their money to bless people and to love people and to support people and to give willingly because they used what they had to be a blessing. And so you could have a big business. Someone with a smaller business can make more of an impact and et cetera, et cetera. And so how do we want to be remembered? It's not by how much you have. It's what do you have that God wants to use through you in your life. And so one thing that you and I all have that I want to talk about today in this idea, this framework of how we're remembered, is that every single one of us has skills. We've been given skills that we use for our job or for our family or to make money and all of that. But here's what we're talking about today. It's that winners use their skills. Can you say that with me? Winners use their skills. And I want to encourage you today... That winners, as we try to win the day and do all that God has called us to do in this life, winners know how to use their skills to do great things in this life. And that's how we want to be remembered. So I started thinking about Jesus. How is Jesus remembered, right? If you read in uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... It's the four Gospels about the life and ministry of Jesus. And what you'll see is very interesting about Jesus because the way we remember him and most of what's written about him is this three-year period from the age of 30 to the age of 33 where he did his ministry. It's where he, he went on this crusade and he's bringing people back to life and he's walking on water and he's producing miracles and he's bringing sight to the blind. All the stories that you and I remember that we preach about and hear about was in this small three-year window of the life of Jesus, which kind of leads you to this question, what in the world did Jesus do from when he was born to the age of 30? What did that look like and how was he prepared and cultivated to launch into this three-year ministry that you and I remember so well? 
And so you think about it, if you start in the book of Luke, chronological order, Jesus, chapter 1, he's born to the Virgin Mary. You know the story. We celebrate Christmas uh, because he was born. We spend too much money and all that kind of, eat too much food, right? And so he's born, and we know the, the birth story of Jesus. We don't hear anything else about him until the age of 12. And the funny story about that is, if you're a parent, this will make you feel better about your parenting because... Mary takes the whole family to Jerusalem from Nazareth, and they go to a festival. And Jesus is there with his brothers and sisters and his family. And and after the festival is coming to an end, the family leaves, but they forgot to bring Jesus with them in the caravan, right? I get upset when I lose my keys, all right? Mary lost the Savior of the world, all right? (laughs) 12-year-old boy Jesus is is lost, all right? Some of you are like, I'd love to lose my 12-year-old son for a little while. That would make life a little easier. But so they, they come back and they find Jesus and he's, he's in the synagogue. He's learning. He's, he's in the temple and he's hearing the word of God and he's teaching it. And he's becoming the man of God that he's called to be. From 12, we don't hear anything about Jesus until he's launched into his ministry around the age of 30. And so what was going on in the life of Jesus all those years? And so maybe you might be in a period of life where you may feel in that middle ground, wanting to be launched into what you're meant to do or called to do, hungry to make an impact and to use your life and time and energy and skills to make that difference, like the three-year period of Jesus. But I think a lot of us are in this 30-year period Jesus was in where what is going on in this time period? Which led me to Mark chapter 6. We get a little glimpse of how Jesus is seen in that 30-year period. And here's how it goes. It says, Jesus left there, and he went to his hometown. So he's in his ministry. He's doing the miracles. He's doing what God has called him to do in his ministry. But he's decided along his journey, he's going to go back to his hometown, where he grew up, where he played with all the kids, and where he went to school, and where he grew up as a young man. Jesus is returning. It's kind of like a reunion for Jesus. He's accompanied by his disciples. So when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? And what are these remarkable miracles he's performing? And so you can see the hometown people are saying, there's something different about Jesus. Something's changed with this little boy. He's no longer the little kid playing in the yard with the neighbors down the street. He's doing miracles. He's speaking with authority. He's changed the game. And something is different. But watch how they speak about him in these next few verses. Isn't this that, that carpenter? They say, isn't this Mary's son and, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? Like, they still live around here? And, and notice this, they took offense at Jesus. And so they can't comprehend the change in Jesus. They still see him as this carpenter guy. And so I, I wonder if some of us in the room feel a little bit like Jesus might have felt in that, in that position. That some of us in the room... We know we're capable of great things. 
We know that there's maybe something more to this life than we've been able to give, but some of us in the room may just feel like, well, I'm just a salesman, or, or I'm just like a teacher, or, or I'm just a mom, or I, I haven't been launched into what I really want to do with my life. I know I have more to give. I have skills. I, I just need opportunities. I, I want to make more of an impact on the world around me. And some of us may walk into our job wondering, why doesn't my boss see me for more than I am? Why doesn't my boss think I'm capable of getting that promotion or making that amount of money? Or why am I even in this job right here? Because I know I'm perfectly capable of something greater and something more meaningful. And there's just something inside of us that's wondering, why do we just see ourselves as this when I know I can be something more? And they're looking at Jesus and like, isn't he just that carpenter? He made the end table for the smiths down the road. Like, what is happening right now? And, and he, it was probably a perfect end table and really nice and flat and everything. But it's like, what in the world has changed? But do you, do you ever feel like that? Like, you have more to give? Do you ever feel like sometimes, because maybe your job or where you spend your time, or maybe you feel like you're just the guy or the, the woman that can't keep a job or can't keep a relationship? We just fall into this place where we wish we had more opportunity. We wish we could do more with where we put our time and our passion. And they're looking at Jesus the exact same way. Well, I want to encourage you with something that I see from this text. There, there's two. The first one is this. Jesus was remembered for his calling, not his career. You see, oftentimes we get wrapped up in our identity becoming, I'm a student, or I'm, I'm just a mom, and no one really sees me and all the skills and the talent and the dreams and the passion. I've got to focus on this right now, but I want to do so much more, but we fall into that place where we just become this identity of, of what we do and what our job is and how much money you make and what your paycheck looks like and the status you haven't been able to achieve. But with Jesus, we see that we don't see any scripture written about the really nice bed he made for the people in the community. We don't see the, the story about the house that, that he built. No, no, no. Jesus isn't even remembered remotely for that first 30 years. The birth, the little story when he's 12, and we don't hear about him till he's 30. And when he does his ministry where he received his calling. And so what we take from that as well is, secondly, that God will use your career to prepare you for your calling. And so push pause on that for a second. I'm not saying your job doesn't matter, because it certainly does. I believe God has placed each of us, wherever you are, the job you have, uh, the money you make, the, the employees you're around, the people you lead, God has you there for a purpose. I believe God wants to use you in a great way in that place. I believe God wants Christians to rise up as leaders to make an incredible impact wherever God has them. I think you should strive to be successful. You should become a leader. Get the promotions. Make the money. Do all that God has given you to do. However, that is not simply your identity. Because 30 years, let's say Jesus at 15 became a carpenter. 15 years as a carpenter guy in the neighborhood and so watch what God was doing and so Jesus is 
He's a carpenter, a builder, right? He's using his hands to take something that is nothing and to create something out of nothing. He's a shaper and a molder of wood, making it into something that is useful. And here's what God's doing. He's preparing him for that time when he's called into his ministry to not be a molder and a shaper and a builder of wood, but to be a molder and a shaper and a builder of people for God's kingdom. And you see, I think some of us are in a place or in a job or under a boss that we may not like, or we don't see the significance, or we don't understand why it is the way it is, but all this while, you're in that period of God is shaping and molding your heart, and he's going to use that when he unveils your calling to build his kingdom, he will use it for his glory. That's what I believe, he's preparing us for his calling. And so you ask, what what changed with Jesus? How did he get to that point where it shifted into his calling and he he was launched into his ministry? And it's actually kind of simple. In in Mark chapter 1, here's what it says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you, I am well pleased. And so here's the story of Jesus that you and I want to identify with. When your skill combines with God's spirit, there is no limit. See, because Jesus was uniquely gifted as a, as a carpenter, as a craftsman to work with his hands, but when the Holy Spirit of God came into his life, and he combined his skill with God's spirit, that's when the world changed. That's when Jesus uncovered his calling. And he goes from city to town to neighborhood, preaching the good news of the gospel, healing the sick, bringing sight to the blind, bringing people who are paralyzed to be able to walk again. So the Holy Spirit of God launches Jesus into his calling after 30 years of waiting. And I think for some of us, we're in a period of waiting But I believe the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to combine your skills with His Spirit to change the world around you. And so you think about how is Jesus remembered after that when the Holy Spirit takes over His life and begins to lead Him in this ministry. So you think about what's written about Jesus. Many people remember Jesus for how He treated women. Because women in that culture in that time had no authority. They weren't highly respected in in any ways. Talk about equality. There was absolutely none. And so Jesus has these encounters with women where he loved them and where he spoke truth and life into them. You think about the woman at the well who everyone avoided. Jesus approaches her and he presents himself as the Savior and changes her life, and she runs back to her city and becomes one of the first evangelists speaking the good news of Jesus, using a woman to change people's lives. You think about how he treated women. He changed the game with that. Many remember Jesus as as a man who dealt with racism in an incredible way. You think we can relate to that. The Samaritans and the Jewish people hated each other. I mean, they were at war with each other. They avoided one another. There was racism all over that time. And Jesus tells a story and a parable to these Jewish believers about the good Samaritan. 
being better and more godly than a priest and a Levite, and talking about how basically anyone who's created by God is welcome in the kingdom of God, no matter what your color, your race is. Everyone is welcome into God's kingdom. Many people remember Jesus about how he dealt with temptation, something you and I deal with every single day of our lives. The first place the Holy Spirit led Jesus to was the desert to be tempted by Satan. And what did he do? The Holy Spirit led him to quote scripture that was hidden in his heart to battle against the temptation that Satan was putting in front of him time after time. And he won that battle that you and I want to win every single day. He won that battle through the Spirit every time. Think about how Jesus handled confrontation. This could help some of our marriages and our parenting and uh, our relationship with our boss. Jesus knew when to speak, and Jesus knew when to be quiet. Jesus knew when to overturn the tables in the temple, and Jesus knew when to be quiet and let God do his work. He knew how to handle confrontation. He knew how to handle authority. Then you think about how Jesus led people. He chose a group of 12 young men who no one would have chosen to be the disciples that would carry out the mission of Jesus long after he was gone. You want to talk about leaving a legacy. Most people believe the disciples were teenagers because him and Peter were the only two to pay the temple tax, so they were under the age of 20. He chooses a group of teenagers. This, If you want a book on parenting, watch how Jesus leads his disciples. He taught them how to fail and how to become leaders. He allowed them to fail forward because he knew that one day he would be gone and his legacy was this group of young men that was going to start the church, that was going to spread to the entire world, that was going to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire world. And it wasn't going to be him doing that. It was going to be the disciples carrying out his ministry. And that's how Jesus is remembered. He left a legacy behind and he did that in a three year period led by the Holy Spirit of God. And this is how we all remember Jesus. In the book of Romans, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus brought peace between you and I and our Heavenly Father. What a blessing. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is Jesus remembered? When he combined his skill with the Holy Spirit of God, the world changed. He gave up his life so that you and I can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's the reason we're in this room worshiping our Savior, Jesus, because we have life through him. And so the question is, what about you and I? How will you and I be remembered? See, because many of us have skills. A lot of times we get so caught up in the career path. We get so caught up in the job and making the paycheck and falling into this cycle of where we spend our time and we get frustrated and we want more and we're hungry for more and what if God had something just more than that 
Because I think there's, there's like missionaries in this room that don't even know about it. I believe there's pastors in this room that don't even know about it. I believe God wants to use you in ways that you've never even thought about when you find your calling through the Spirit of God. And see, I believe that your life will change. You will find your calling in this life. You will be remembered by your calling when your skill combines with God's Spirit. Oh, we will do great things. And so how do we win the day? How do we know we're using those skills in a way that helps us win the day? I want to give you one piece of application today. As you go back into your jobs tomorrow, as you go back home with your spouse and your kids and the life that, that we live, here it is. Every day we build either our kingdom or we build God's kingdom. Church, every day we either build our little kingdoms, our little bank accounts and our jobs and our families and all of that, or we build God's kingdom. See, you'll notice the Holy Spirit of God will always lead you to build His kingdom. Will always lead you to build God's kingdom. And usually that looks like building people. And I was thinking about someone in my life that I will remember so fondly. And my grandmother, uh, her name is Betty Carter. She lives in Greenville, South Carolina. She's 85 years old. I know her as Meemaw, okay? And Meemaw... One day, I, I spoke at another family member's funeral, and she walks up to me right after. She goes, Griffin, you're going to speak at my funeral. I'm like, Meemaw, that's weird, <laughs> all right? She's, she's penciled me in to speak at her funeral, right? And so, of course, I've, I've thought about, you know, what would I say about this woman? And my our family's so close. And the more I thought about it, the more I've realized how easy that will be when that day comes. And the reason is because I, I don't remember, I won't remember this woman by her job. I actually have no clue one job she's ever had in her life. But I remember that she, she poured into three of her children her entire life for over 60 years. And that's filtered down to the grandchildren, which is me. And now that's filtered down to great-grandchildren, and her legacy continues to build with an amazing family. I uh, won't remember her for the really big house her and her husband had. It was two-story and massive, and we'd always go there for Christmas, and it was a great place. I will remember how I felt every time I walked through her door in her home. Every hug she greeted me with, the love she poured into our family, she made the most of her time with her kids and grandkids and her family. The way that woman made me feel was loved and cared for and appreciated every moment she was with me. And I don't remember every word that she said to me. I probably should have listened when I was younger a little bit more. But I will never forget sophomore year in college, I was getting a business degree, sports management minor, and I had dreams of working for the Rays, the Lightning, or the Bucks, and, you know, taking over a franchise one day, and, and I'll never forget, I was in her living room, and this woman looks into my eyes, and she says, Griffin, 
I believe you are called to be a minister. And I laughed in her face <laughs> because I not, have never once thought about that in my life. I hated public speaking. And I said, Mima, there's no way. And I thought about that so many. It was the first time I had ever thought that I could be that in my life. This woman, through the Holy Spirit of God, saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. She changed my life forever. And I thought about, that's, that's what I want my story to be. I want to build God's kingdom. I, want to, I don't want to be so wrapped up in my work and paycheck and this. No, no, no. God, what have you called me to do? Who have you called me to reach? Who have you called me to impact? My spouse, my kids, my grandkids, my boss, my employees. God, where have you placed me that I can be used by the power and glory of your Holy Spirit so that I can leave a legacy behind me that is way bigger than my bank account and my nice cars and my nice clothes and my nice things that we get so wrapped up in. God, you are calling me to something bigger. And so many people in this room, you are hungry and passionate to find something bigger and something greater. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to lead you there. And I believe right now he's probably preparing you wherever you are, maybe even whatever you're frustrated with. He's using that to prepare you for the calling that he has in your life that's not going to build your little kingdom. It's going to build God's kingdom. I believe that God wants to not only use your skills, he wants to combine it with his spirit. And you will see when you are led by that spirit, that journey is bigger and greater and more amazing than you can ever imagine. Church, he has a calling on your life. He has a calling on your life. And he wants to use you in a mighty way. Let's stand together. Prayer partners can come forward as we close this morning. If you're in that place, maybe, maybe you're in that 30-year period where Jesus was, he was just that carpenter. Maybe you're in a place where you're, you're hungry to know more about what God's calling you to. Maybe you need prayer this morning from one of these prayer partners to ask God to reveal more to you, to lead you more and more to what he's called you to do. But if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that is the beginning of the journey of being led by the Holy Spirit of God to do what he's called you to do in this life. You want to find your purpose. You want to find the meaning of your life. Jesus Christ is the first step to finding all of that. So I want to invite you, if you've never given your life to Christ, to make that decision today to receive his love and to begin this journey with your Heavenly Father. Lord, we love you. You are amazing. We thank you for your truth. God, we thank you that even when we feel hidden, even when we don't feel appreciated with what we bring to the table, God, you see us. You created us exactly the way we were meant to be created. And Father, when we combine our skill with your spirit, there truly is no limit. 
And so I pray that everyone walks out of this door with a different perspective about work tomorrow, work tonight, wherever you're leading us, that we're going in there to build your kingdom. Our calling is to build your kingdom. So we thank you that the Spirit will lead us to do bigger and greater things than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.